Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a principal in search of wisdom, and I have found productivity to be a great tool for success. Today, I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Charles Williams. Charles is a school administrator, a podcaster, an author, a consultant, like, wow, so many hats. I can't wait to learn from him. Charles Williams, who are you? Hey, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Martinez. Uh, thank you for having me in this space. I will say, first and foremost, uh, I am a school administrator. I, you know, we wear many hats, but I think it's like that hat is what got me here. And proud to say that I, I work alongside you within the Chicago Public Schools. So uh, just great to be able to share this space with you and have these conversations. Um, you know, as you pointed out, I, I, I do a, a load of things, but I think the, the underlying current of all of that uh, is I consider myself an equity champion. Uh, I didn't have the words for it when I went into school initially, uh, but I wanted to figure out when I was in school, I, I, I was phenomenal. And I don't mean it that, I, you know, honking my own horn, but I fit the mold of school. I could read something and I could memorize it. I could regurgitate it and spit it back to you in a great way. And so I fit the mold of what school was when I was in school. So it was very, very easy for me and I excelled at it. But I had friends and colleagues who, who didn't do so well. And I didn't think they were any less smart than me. They were just differently smart than I was. So when I became a teacher, my goal was to have all of the students in my classroom to be successful, regardless of how they were able to demonstrate that intelligence. And that was my focus. That That is where I excelled. And then later on, I learned, oh, I was doing equity work, right? I, uh, so I've committed myself to doing this work. And so it is the intersection of equity and leadership. That is where I am at right now. Uh, and it drives the workshops, the, the presentations at conferences, the books that I'm working on, uh, you know, just sitting here in these spaces and, you know, having these conversations. Uh, that is who I am. So, you know, Thanksgiving just passed and, you know, I had some awkward conversations with people, but it's it's just really making sure, like, are we aware of things? Are we knowledgeable about things? And then using that information in order to move forward. I'm not going to tell you how to move forward, but I just want you to be possessed with the knowledge so you can move forward and you can't say, well, I didn't know any better. Wow. A lot of uh, onion to peel here. Uh, I am so interested. I'm going to follow up uh, once you talk about your professional trajectory. I just wanted to add that the wealthiest people have consultants in all the areas, or we think about the president of the United States, and they have secretaries of all the areas, right? And that depend on that uh, expertise. So uh, mm -hmm. it's important work that I hope that we can reflect on more today. So please walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I started as a teacher back in 2006. Um, and I always tell people <clears throat> it was not my intention. I did not go to school to become an educator. Uh, in fact, when I went to school, I, I studied in communications and English. I thought I was going to be like a PR person. Uh, that was my biggest focus. And coming out of college, I had two options. It was a PR job or a teaching job. Or it was two PR jobs, but one was with the school city of Hammond <clears throat> where I went to school. And I weighed the options. And for a variety of reasons, I went school city. And it was like doing a lot of PR, a little bit of teaching. 
And sometime I blinked and all of a sudden it was like, now I'm in the classroom and not really doing PR. But it was okay because I fell in love with it. I was teaching English classes, uh, just absolutely loving it. And they said, well, why don't you stick around and be a teacher? Which was interesting because in the background, I could hear my grandmother who has told me since like middle school, you're going to be a teacher. And I was always like, no, absolutely not. I don't like kids. I'm not doing that. Uh, but here I am right now. And she was like, I told you so. So I went back to school. Uh, I got my master's in teaching. Uh, and then I just said, you know, this is great. I'm having some great results. But I kept getting frustrated because I was kind of stuck. Right. I, I saw that happening in my classroom, but I wasn't seeing things get replicated in other places. And I was limited by being just a teacher. So I said, I'm going to become an administrator because if I can't tell my boss what to do, then maybe I should become the boss. Right. And then I can make sure that the school is running away. A school should run. So I went back to school, got my uh, another master's in educational administration and worked my way up. So I, I was a teacher, then became an AP which was unexpected because I was just taking over while the AP was sick and she never came back. And they said, we want you on the role. And I was an AP for one year, one year. I was in China doing this like school trip and my principal left and I called her and I said, Hey, uh, you know, we had this like five-year plan. What, what are you doing? You, you weren't supposed to leave yet. Yeah. Um, but she said, no, you got it. Go for the principalship. So I did. I, I, I literally was an AP for one year, went for the principalship, and I got the principalship. Wow. And wow. then I sat in that role for eight years. The last eight years, I, I served as a principal. Um, and this year, I, I took a step back. Uh, so I'm now an AP again. Um, and, and, you know, it was intentional. And a lot of people I talked to, they're like, wait a minute, you, you stepped back? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I took a step back. Um, one, so I can focus on some of these other things that I'm trying to do very hard to run a business and run a school simultaneously, uh, as, as I'm sure, you know, um, you know, but it was also just saying, I, I still have family and, and I missed in the pursuit of the things that I was trying to accomplish. Uh, my girls were growing up. And so my, my daughter's now a freshman in college, uh, and I can never get back the time that I've lost. Right. But there's still time now. And so being able to take a step back is, allows me to be a little more present, uh, you know, with my family uh, for these last few years while they're still in school and doing their things. And so um, about 2019, I was at a conference and I was presenting at the ESSA conference downtown at the Sheraton. And uh, I was doing a conference on our workshop on vocabulary. And I remember a woman came up to me and said, hey, can you come and train our teachers? I was like, this is it this is what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I could come and train your teachers. And I realized I'm just a guy, right? I didn't have a company. I didn't have anything like, so I said, I, I, I'm going to launch this consulting company now. So that way when I show up to actually, you know, teach the teachers, I'm official. Uh, so I launched, uh, you know, the, the, the consulting company. And from there, I've done all these other things, you know, the the podcast, the book, the the web series, the shows, you know, just speaking all over the country. Um, it's been it's been a great ride. And it, it surprises me. We're only going on like four years now with it. But a lot has happened in these last four years. A lot to be great. Imagine in 10 years from now. And it feels like 10 years. And sometimes I, I get I'll be honest, right? Like sometimes I look around and I see what people are doing and I'm like, oh, like 
why why am I not there yet? And literally, I just moved into my new office. This is one of my daughter's old rooms. So I found that Essa booklet where I first started. And I saw it 2019. And I was like, 2019? Wait, that, that wasn't even four years ago. Yeah. And it was kind of a realization like Charles you know, you can be unhappy and chase all of those things that you haven't accomplished yet. Or you can sit back, reflect on what you have done, the work that you've done, you know, the the inspiration you've caught, like all of that, the, yeah. the changes you've made and, and be proud of that. So it's like, which one do you want to do? And in that moment, I was like, you know what, Let, let's be proud of what's happened over the last four years, as opposed to being upset about what hasn't occurred yet. Yes. Amen. Wow. That that's that's okay. So let's 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 land uh, a few seconds in each position. When you transition from teacher to administrator, mm -hmm. what is one lesson that you wish you knew? So the, the one of the very first lessons is that uh, teachers are really no different than students. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know it's like I think a lot of times you think like you're a teacher and you're in your classroom and, and you're trying to manage, right? And work with a group of students. And you think, man, if only I can become an administrator, then I got teachers, right? Like it's easier because they know what they're doing. And you quickly realize just like your students, they know they're supposed to be in the classroom, but they all have different perspectives about how they should be operating within the classroom. And your teachers are exactly the same way. They all know they're supposed to be at work, but they all have different perspectives of why they're at work, right? The yes. truth is you have some teachers who probably shouldn't be there because their perspective is I'm here to collect a paycheck, right? And, and, and I'm going home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach it at the kids. If they don't learn, that's on them. And I'm going yeah. home, right? There, there are others who come in and they're amped up and they're ready, right? They're, that kid in the front row, me, 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 me. You got those teachers that are fired up. And it's like, you have to figure out how do I utilize those uh, teachers so I don't have them burn out and become like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. So yes. in the very same way that you had to figure out the uniqueness of each of your students, curate those lessons to make sure that it made sense. As a leader, you got to do the same thing with your mission, vision, values, and goals to say, how am I going to make sure that I, I curate this for each of my staff members so that each of them can be as impactful and effective as possible? I didn't know that. I just thought it was like, I'm going to become, but all oh, you guys know what to do, right? Awesome. Yeah. Go. No. <laughs> and Charles, what, um, with one year of AP becoming a principal, did you feel you, you, you missed something uh, of experience? Uh, and what was that? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. So like, I've now been in AP for like a year and a half, maybe. Right. And, and so I don't know what lessons necessarily come along with being an AP as compared to a principal. Um, but I, when I was thrust into the principal role, I mean, I, I was forced to learn a lot. And, and, and I know different schools, different districts operate a little bit differently. Um, I believe like how ideally it should work would be that your AP could be more focused on how do we help manage instruction and curriculum within those classes. Right. And a principal oftentimes really serves almost like a business manager, right? I got to deal with the budget and the finance and the grants and all of those wonderful things. But to be honest, where I was serving as a principal, with the exception of my first year, I didn't have an AP. So for 
seven years, I was it. So I was kind of doing both of those things, right? I I was a, I was a tasked with running the building as a as a as a business, right? But then I was also tasked with ensuring our teachers implementing best practices. Are the test scores going in the right direction? Our students, you know, are we closing those gaps? And so I had to do both. So in a way, if I'm right about what an AP should be doing, uh, I was kind of doing both of those. And so I learned a lot along the way. But I, if, if I were to pull out a gem, right, of not sitting in an AP role for, say, five, six years and then becoming a principal, was that I didn't have to unlearn things, if that makes sense. I think a lot of yeah. times we we become very comfortable in our space and we move into a new role and we kind of carry all of that with us and say, I'm good. I have all the tools, the resources, the knowledge that I need. And it's very difficult to, I think, unlearn and adapt and to change. I didn't have a choice, right? I was thrust into it and I was learning and, and I was literally building my plane right? As I, as I was flying along. And, but it, it helped because, you know, of all the struggles, of all the failures, of all the obstacles that I ran into, you know, I continued to learn and to grow. And so like now I've been able to take some of that in this role as an AP. <clears throat> and I think it's made me an even stronger AP. I don't know. You'd have to ask, you know, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> but I, I would like to think, you know, that knowledge and skills, you know, makes me a different type of AP. As, as opposed to an AP coming up, you know, I'm coming this way, right? So yeah. I think it makes me a different type of AP, at least, at least I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure much stronger going through 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 all the trials and tribulations of, of being an AP, transitioning to being, a, they call it singleton, a principal that doesn't have an AP, which is like dual role in many ways. Uh, and then going back to that AP role, uh, I'm sure that that you're able to gather a lot of uh, cards from different hats uh, because of your roles. Let me ask you, um, what recommendations do you have for someone who wants to start a consulting uh, company? Yes. <clears throat> so I, I will say this, and uh, you know, I know we're, we're both you know uh, connected to the Teach Better group. And, and the best words of wisdom that I have um, came from Ray. We were at IdeaCon. Um, this was right before the pandemic, like right before the pandemic. And I remember sitting down and talking to her. And at the time, I was so focused on just kind of getting out there. So I was offering anything and everything. Like, you need data analysis? I've got you. Do you need, you know, a curriculum assessment? I've got you. Do you need best practice? I was just throwing myself out there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she said, well, what is it that you want to do? Like, what are you really passionate about? What are you really focused on? Because you can be okay at a lot of things, right? But a lot of people are okay at a lot of things, right? But what are you really, really good at that not many people can get to that point because that is your focus. That is like your specialty. And it took me some time to think. And then I, I kind of partnered that um with uh, Dr. Jackson, she she had mentioned not not our old CEO, um, yeah. but she mentioned uh, the zone of genius. I was sitting at a conference, uh, and she talked about the zone of genius. Right, this idea of you know there there <clears throat> there's the I'm trying to remember the zone before it. Like you're really good at it, but you don't really get anything out of it. 
but your zone of genius is something that you're really good at. But by working in that space, you're also being fulfilled. And because you're being fulfilled, that means that you can continue doing the work because continuing doing the work means that you're continually being filled, right? The zone of intelligence, like right before that, I can do it, but I'm not getting anything back. So I keep doing it and people keep coming to me because I'm really, really good at it, but I keep giving and giving and giving and eventually I'm done. So she said, don't operate in that space, operate in your zone of genius, right? Because now I'm giving and being fulfilled. And so I started to think about that. I said, what is it that I'm really passionate about? What is it that when I do that work, even after a long day of session, I walk out of there like amped up, right? Like we, I'm sure we've had those days where we Absolutely. walk out of the building and we're just like, yes, right? We're, we're amped. And then there's other days you're like, why, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Right? And so- it took some time to figure that out. And once I did, I will be honest. I mean, I was scrambling. I was trying to get workshops. I was trying to present at conferences. I was just like scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. And I wasn't really getting much of anything. But once I went through that and I figured out what's my purpose, what's my why, why am I doing this work? And I started to ground myself in that. Everything changed. I remember the first year of 20, I want to say it was 2020 or 21. I said, I want to have six it was 21. Uh, I, I said, I want to have six speaking engagements this year. That was my goal. I okay. said, I'm going to focus on equity. I'm going to do this work. I just want six and I'll be happy. I ended up with six by like April. Right? And it was just, I wasn't doing anything special. I wasn't doing anything necessary. I just said, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I started pouring myself into that and it's changed everything. So if somebody wants to get into this work, Find that thing. Don't, you might be good at a lot of stuff, but guess so is a lot of other people. Nobody wants somebody who's good. Nobody wants somebody who's okay. They want someone who's great. And so find that space where you can be great, but again, where it fulfills you. Because if you're not getting anything out of it, this is going to be a very short run. You're going to create your business and you're going to get tired and you're going to stop, right? But if you want this to be a long-term thing, Find that thing that gives you life, that fulfills your purpose in life. So that way you can just do it because there are going to be days where it's a struggle <laughs> and that's what keeps you going through it. So you're not just like, whatever, I'm done. Wow. What a great advice by our friend, Ray Huckhart. Hi, Ray. Uh, we love you very much. Uh, so, so wise. Uh, what a thing of like staying in the area, like, where you can score the points. Maybe you're at three shots or, or, or this side, or right? Like, 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 and, or the rebounds by Rodman, just like stay in that zone. Uh, what a great advice. Uh, thank you uh, for sharing that. Uh, once again, um, uh, great reflection. One more question um, in terms of, uh, well, a couple of more questions. Let's talk about uh, what came first, podcasting or authoring a book? Uh, the podcast. Um, so let's talk about uh, a, of all that you are doing. All of a sudden, Charles Williams says, I'm going to be in not one, but two podcasts. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the podcast launched off uh, again, just I, I have a lot of What's the, title? Uh, the counter narrative podcast. Okay. Uh, so I launched it during the pandemic, right? Because, you know, a lot, we realized we were sitting at home. We had so much more time on our hands. Um, so it's like, now what else can I do? 
and I had some podcast friends. And really, it goes out to uh, Mike Earnshaw uh, from Punk Rock Classrooms. He's also a teacher here in Illinois, in, in Lansing, um, as well as Che and Pav from the Staff Room Podcast. And so, you know, I, I kept talking to them and just about their journeys. And they kept encouraging me, like, launch your own, if nothing else, right? And, and I love that Che and Pav talked about this, is that it's a chronicle of your own journey, right? Some people write. Some people, you know, however they reflect, but the podcast is a chronicle, right? I could go back now and listen to episode like one, two, three, and I could hear the differences of where I was at. So it's literally a chronicle of my journey. And so I said, okay, let, let's start doing this. But again, what is it that I want to talk about? What is something that I'm passionate enough about? Something that I, I'm not going to get tired of focusing on. Um, and so Dr. Tyrone Howard uh, out of UCLA, wrote this article called uh, The Counter Narrative. And what he did is he focused on a group of young, Black, successful male students. And he said, why are they successful? Because so oftentimes we hear about why they're not. He wanted to figure out why are they? And I thought about that and I said, you know, we have a lot of those success stories, right? A lot. And they're not being captured. So how do we focus on countering the narrative? Because my thought was, if all we do in, in an effort, I'm sure, right, we sit in the same meetings, in the same data meetings, and we hear the same conversations, right? Every year we have our principal gathering, and there's the data. And it's almost predictable, right? And so I once heard what you could predict, you could prevent. Because if you... When these things happen, I don't know if he can see me or hear me or if you can see me or hear me. But if it gets cut, no worries, because such is the Internet. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back any moment. What a great conversation with this guy. Um, let's see. Uh, so he was telling us right now about his experience um, finding his niche uh, of where he was able to, to find success, where he was able to, to find success um, uh, and made it into a business, right? Supporting schools that are looking exactly for the type of service that he can provide. Uh, what are uh, an amazing uh, task and you know it takes I think a lot of guts to to do such a thing to to decide I am going to emphasize my work and my efforts in um, creating a business that is going to um, provide um, quality improvement to the schools that are looking for this. Um, so um, let's see. Um, let's uh, use this time that we lost this connection with uh, the illustrious Charles Williams to celebrate Teach Better. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Mm -hmm. 
Bam from studio. Why can I see my friend here? Device is not connected. Let me see. This um, is a little problem. Let's see, give me one sec. No worries. Okay, so he's trying to connect. That's not a problem. He's coming back. Uh, that's great. So he was telling us about uh, uh, the advice once again about finding your niche and uh, knowing how to um, uh, make it into a precise and organized effort in one thing instead of you providing your help uh, in uh, different things. That's why I find interesting uh, to do this show of podcasting because uh, we get to learn things that perhaps uh, I can buy a bunch of books and learn, but perhaps I can also buy a bunch of books and not learn. Uh, why not learn from the source uh, and learn from people who are actually uh, conducting the kind of work uh, that is making a difference? Um, so as, as I wait for my friend Charles, uh, what can I tell you? Um, I know this kind of like lost the, 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 the strength, which where the interview was going, uh, but we must be empathetic with the reality that the internet sometimes doesn't work for us. Um, so, um. What can I tell you? Let's reflect then on um, Elon Musk and Twitter, right? So I see that a lot of um, a lot of people want to see Elon Musk fail. You know, I can also understand why uh, many people dislike this guy. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. It's okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I don't. My, yeah. my other computer glitched out, so I jumped onto this one. You know, I was saying that technologies like that, sometimes we have everything ready and it just, you know, something happens and, you know, it's okay. I all of a sudden started talking about different uh, topics until you came back. I want to make sure that we keep this recording because uh, I am so impressed with everything that you're saying. And I was saying that uh, you can buy a bunch of books and learn this. But you can also buy a bunch of books and learn nothing. True. And I feel that uh, that lesson of finding your niche and then uh, emphasizing all your efforts there, what a wise thing. Uh, because often uh, we want to bring our talents like in a buffet, a little bit uh, of everything, and then we don't do, we don't do anything uh, great. Thank you so much. So you were telling us, you, were, you began to tell us about the podcasting, uh, yeah. about uh, covid uh, in that era, and you believe that you have a message to say. Tell us yeah. what's going on. So, yeah, so like the, the whole purpose, right, as I was mentioning, was the to, to highlight those other stories, right? Because I'm sure like you and your school, there were wonderful things happening that maybe were not always highlighted. We're not part of the usual conversation. And it was the same thing in my building. So I thought if we could start having those different conversations, maybe, just maybe, we start to challenge that deficit mindset. I mean, think about our students. If they're always being told or it's always being said around them that they're the reason why we're not getting to where we want to be as a district or as a nation, right? Eventually, at some point, it's like, why do I even bother? Yeah. 
right? If, if, if I know that I come every single day and I try really, really, really hard, but at the end of the day, at the end of the year, I keep being told that you're not good enough, right? You're not meeting expectations. You're not this, you're not that. You know, at some point, why? Why bother? Right? I mean, the same thing as leaders with our teachers, if it's the same thing. If, if every year I evaluate you, right, and your rank is super low, at some point I'm going to say, why, why bother being a teacher? Or maybe I could try to figure out how do I push that up? How do I highlight those successes? How do I celebrate you? So that way you start to think of yourself as like, you know what? No, no, no. I, I am effective. I just need to do a little bit more. Right. And so my the purpose of this podcast was to have exactly that. In so many spaces, there are these dominant narratives that are damaging to our marginalized populations. Um, so I said, how, how about telling the other side of those stories? And so I've had guests who we've talked about, like rural education. We've talked about body images. We've talked about like assessment. We've talked about, I mean, just almost every topic. And I, I was not planning on having all of those conversations. Um, but it's been interesting, the journey, because I've learned a lot from my guests along the way, you know, the understanding how like brain science works and how that contributes to learning and, you know, uh, our special ed department and our diverse learners, like just everything that you could think of. It's awesome that people are starting to have that same mindset and say, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's really happening. Let me tell you those secrets of success that we're sharing. So that way that becomes part of the conversation. Because I don't know about you, but I really believe that if we talk about education maybe a little bit differently, we start changing the way we think about it. If we change the way we think, we start changing the way we believe. And if we change the way we believe, it'll change how we act towards it. And that is that is my hope. That is my hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that. Uh, so much to unpack there. Um, and administrator, consultant podcaster and all of a sudden you decide you know what i'm also going to write a book <laughs> tell us about that uh journey yeah so um you know somewhere along with the podcasting uh i'm i connected with a group called school rubric so shout out to wallace team and ryan sagar uh so you know they started asking me hey we have these web series and we would love for you to be on the web series Um, and so they had a, a few different shows running. And so I would hop on different ones and we would have conversations about different things. And we started you, to you have, have the voice. You had the voice. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so, so yeah, so now, now I'm trying to do audio books. So, you know, if anybody out there who has a book who wants to narrate it, let me know. Um, but yeah, so we, we came across this idea that, you know, as educators, as teachers, there's a lot of space, right, where teachers can get together. They can network, they can learn, they can grow, safe spaces for teachers. And we said there's not a lot of those spaces for us as administrators. I mean, we might have an annual conference, right? We have the Illinois Principal Association Conference. That's once a year, right? There's like NAESP. That's once a year. Like, can we create a space that is constantly there where we can go, where it's safe and we can learn and we can grow and we can lead together? And so we created inside the principal's office. And so I started that off. It was me and my co-host, Michael McWilliams, uh, who was a veteran principal of 20 plus years down in Benton ISD. Um, and so we started doing a show. It was by leaders, for leaders, almost like FUBU, right? But for leaders, by leaders. Um, and we just, we brought leaders from all over the world together. And we would just talk about some of the most pressing topics, right? It might be like, 
How do we plan for coming back to school? What is a great orientation week or schedule look like? Because a lot of times, right, we might just throw something together, but how can we be intentional about that? What do our teachers want? What do our teachers need? We could talk about how do we, you know, keep going strong, right? We're about to go into our winter breaks. We're about halfway through the year. How do we carry that momentum into the second half? Um, you know, we talk about recruiting teachers, but not just about recruiting, but then also holding on to your teachers, right? So we have all of these conversations, and it's really interesting when you're speaking to somebody from Germany or Colombia or Cambodia, and they're like, we're dealing with the same things, right? So it's not a small U.S. problem, right? This is something that we as administrators have collectively, where we can learn and grow together and, and take insight and wisdom from one another. Because the truth is, right, we could spend our time spinning our wheels, right, doing all the things that people have tried, or we can come together and say, what's worked, right, those best practices, what has worked around the world, and how can I might take that and implement it in our own school? And so that show launched, and we were doing the show, Dr. Thornell came and said, I love what you guys are doing, I have an idea for a book, and I want to, and I want to write it with both of you. So we sat down and probably in about six months or so, we turned out a book. Um, and, you know, what's great about the book is that when you read it, it's not it's not a research paper. You know, there's not a bunch of citations, like you know, referencing what it is. It's a very, very easy to read book. It's 40 weeks long. So like a school year. And it's designed for principals to read one week and then to reflect. So it's full of anecdotes, our stories, our lessons, our experiences, our journeys, and saying, here's here's a gem, here's a nugget, right, uh, that we learned from. We want to share it with you. And here are some reflection questions. And each of the questions are grounded in different types of leadership, servant leadership, instructional leadership, um, reflections and celebrations, uh, you know, uh, continuing ongoing learning as a leader. So it's grounded in those practices of what we believe makes good leader leaders. And so somebody could sit down and read the whole thing if they wanted, or they could sit down and read it one week at a time. And that's something that they could do by themselves, right? Veteran teachers, new or veteran administrators, new administrators, um, or they could do it as part of a, 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 like a PLC, a group study to say, hey, how can we challenge and push each other forward utilizing this thing as a guide? Uh, and I wish, I wish that I had something like that. Because like I said, you know, I, my journey went quickly. And I was just kind of fumbling along trying to figure out what do I do, right? And learning those lessons along the way, I wish there had been a book that I knew about that said, hey, take some time, reflect, right? Learn and grow as you move forward. Um, so I'm glad that we we're able to produce this book and, and put it out there for administrators. What is the title of the book? Inside the principal's office. It's literally the same as the show. Uh, you can find it across Amazon or you can message me and I'll be more than happy to send you off a signed copy. Um, but yeah, you can find it on Amazon. It's written by myself, uh, Michael McWilliams, who's now working with Solution Tree. So shout out to him. And uh, Dr. Rob Thurnell, who's working with NWEA. Wow, beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, uh, you do have good friends, um, and that's important in education that we have good friends. Yes. Um, so, Charles, like in Back to the Future, if you could go back to any of the positions you have held, what is one or two things you will tell yourself? Hmm. So, you know, I, I think if I, if I could go back, the one thing, and I kind of alluded to it already in this, is that 
figure out like who you want to be, right? Set your standards, your goals based on who you are and what you want to achieve and not by everyone else. I think so often, while I love spaces like Twitter, I think Twitter can be a great space for us to learn and connect with one another. But I also think like so often, right, we see things in social media where we're like, oh, I want to do that. How come I'm not? I want, right? And, and so we we judge ourselves. And, and I, I don't remember the exact quote, but like if you, if you navigate by the passing of other ships, you're never going to make it to your port, right? So it's like, Figure out who you are. See what all the other great things people are doing. Celebrate them. You know, encourage them. Like, be happy for them because they're on their own journeys. Their journey is not your journey, and that is okay. So, I wish I would have been told that, you know, a long time ago. I wish I would have known about that a long time ago, because in that time where I was spinning trying to figure out, I'm chasing every little thing. If I was a little more focused, I don't know if it would have changed where I am today. I don't know if that was a lesson that I needed to learn, but I think it's something that people need to hear because we are, even our students, right? I mean, they are so influenced by everything they see around them that they don't know what they want for themselves. And so figure that out, like block out some of the noise, figure out what you want, because once you know where you're going, it's a lot easier to see everybody else and celebrate them. But if you see them before you know what you want, then you're just influenced and swayed and you know that's all you're going to do so what is your like well, first of all right like knowing who you want to be is probably the 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 number one challenge for everyone right in any area of life um if you had to summarize in an elevator speech who you want to be what is that so um this is a shout out to brandon beck um, unlocking unlimited potential in his book he has this like framework for creating your mission statement your vision statement which is something that i now incorporate into the workshops and things that i do with people because if you don't have your own again you're lost right so my purpose and, and it it changes a little bit from here to there verbatim but my purpose is to push back on archaic systems so i want to educate empower uh educators Uh, in order to push back on those archaic systems so that all students can receive an equitable educational experience that it was not only acknowledged, but valued in the larger world. That is my purpose. I want to educate. I want to empower. I want to encourage educators because I want to do all three of those things so they can take these systems that we know do not work for all of our students. They work for some and they've been working for some for a long time. Systems do what systems are designed to do to say, how do we break those systems so that way all of our students receive an education and not just receive one, but I want them to know that when they walk out of my building, right, when they leave the Austin neighborhood, that what they're carrying with them is valued just as much as somebody who's walking out of a River North school, or, right? Like, uh, what, what, is it, what is that one? New Trier, right? <laughs> like, we have the same skills and values, right? We are both equally, like, worthy. And I want that to happen. So, you know, there's kind of those two areas there. One, I got to push back on the world of education, but I hope that that influences the world so that way whatever's coming out of our space is recognized and valued. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, Charles, reading books, as you know, is a mm. privilege. Uh, what is your favorite, 
fiction book and your favorite uh, nonfiction. Yeah, so uh, I grabbed two of them. Where did I put them? Ah, they're right here. So um, right now, the nonfiction book that I'm reading is this guy here, How the Word is Passed. Uh, so this was actually given to us this past summer, right, at our Leadership Institute. Uh, and it's really interesting, again, because the first the first chapter talks about uh, Jefferson's plantation, right? And again, it's how are these stories passed along and what is the truths that are told and what are the truths that are not told, right? And so kind of pushing back on those ideologies and saying, um, what, what is the reality of the situations? And so I love this book. Uh, and so I can't wait to see what else is coming out of it. Uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now, uh, fiction books, uh, so I get really immersed in uh, kind of like the Percy Jackson series and things like that. Like I know it's young adult, but I was always fascinated with like Greek and Roman mythology. And interestingly enough, uh, Rick Riordan, he partnered with a few different authors who have now written very similar uh, series for different uh, groups. So there's one focused on Asian American or Asian right uh, myths. Um, there's one that are like Mesoamerican uh, mythology and one focused on African mythology. And so one of the things that I talk about a lot is you can't write August Wilson. You can't be right for anyone else unless you're right with yourself. And so I'm trying to become more and more understandable and knowledgeable about my own ethnic backgrounds, because it's something that was never really taught to me. And so as I'm reading, uh, I forget his first name, but Strong, something Strong, the character's name, mm -hmm. punches a hole in the sky. It's about African folklore and mythology. And so like you meet Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, Br'er Rabbit. And for me, those were just things that were on Splash Mountain in Disney World. Right? And now I'm seeing them in a whole nother light. And I'm thinking, how is it possible that I've been surrounded by this, but never really understood? I mean, we talk about Zeus, right? It's like, oh yeah, I know who that is. You know, we, we talk about Paul Bunyan, right? Oh yeah, we know who that is. But like we say John Henry, right? And it's like, wait, who? Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, even this year for Halloween at Character Day, I went to school dressed as John Henry. And I got a Johnny Appleseed, Farmer farmer in the Dell, Paul Bunyan. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I took that as a learning opportunity to teach my students because at my school, we are like 95% African-American. Mm -hmm. I said, you need to know, right? And it's no, no, nothing to be ashamed about because I didn't know either. But how can I now take that to you, right? And I put up a whole QR code outside of my office, like who's John Henry, Right, and telling students about it because I wanted them to walk out of the school like I have a new folklore from my own culture, from my own heritage, from my own history that now I can relate to, right? Instead of having to go to these others. So that is a book that I'm reading. And it's just, you know, of course, I'm just eating it up. It's a lot of fun. So awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, the, um, is your race and ethnicity an important part of your work? And if so, how? You know, I think it is. Um, so, you know, I'm. first of all, most people, they, they have no clue, right? It's a fun bar game. Like, hey, what are you? Um, and then so I get to like, if you don't guess, right, you got to buy me a drink. And so I get, I get everything. <laughs> uh, I, I get Middle Eastern, like Egyptian. Um, I've had, you know, Puerto Rican, Mexican, uh, Dominican. 
Uh, oh, I'm sure if you walk with me to a Puerto Rican restaurant, uh, no doubt people will think you're a Puerto Rican. Exactly. And then and then I'll say it. Like, I don't say, like, Puerto Rico, right? It's Puerto Rico. And then they're like, see? Pero you, you speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's a shout out to my wife from Guadalajara, right? So oh, okay, she, okay. she helps out. But the truth is, right, one half is purely European, Irish, English, Scottish, German. And then my father, uh, he was black. He was actually born to sharecroppers, born in a log cabin down in Mississippi. And so it's interesting because, you know, as, as part of my journey, right, one of the things I talk about is that I know how to kind of navigate this duality of spaces, right? I was really, and this is part of one of the workshops I talk about in the counter uh, in color blindness, that I was raised with the mentality to operate in a space where people more often than not won't accept me based on the way that I look. But I understand, I, I can navigate in those spaces. It's very interesting. I'll have conversations like, you know, before all of the Zoom stuff, I'd have phone interviews and things like that. I'd show up and I'd say, hi, I'm Charles. Oh, wait, you're Charles? Like, surprise. <laughs> you know, it's so it's given me this dual, dual perspective that I think has really helped because, and, and I'm just going to be honest, I think so many times I'm perceived as the, the safe black guy, right? So I can come into a space and I can have conversations, some really difficult, challenging conversations that some of my colleagues can't have. Same exact conversation, but just because of how we are perceived right? It is received differently. And so I utilize that to my advantage. I don't, I don't pretend like I don't recognize it, but I utilize that to my advantage to be able to say, yeah, like here's the message, here's the delivery. This is why it's important. And I am part of that group, right? And so if anything, it starts to break down those barriers, it starts to soften that opposition so that way now those other conversations can take place, right? Then I kick open the door and I'm like, come on, andale, andale. No, right? Like, but it's it, it's being able to come into that space and, and kind of navigate that. And, and I recognize it and I use it to my full advantage, right? I mean, I don't, and, and I say this because a lot of my colleagues do, and we know we go to these conferences and there are not a lot of minority educators at most of these conferences. So I don't mind standing in front of a room, right, typically full of white educators and having these very difficult conversations about like colorblindness and equity and other things, right? Because I kind of understand like for the longest time growing up, and I share this in my story, I didn't realize that I was half black. I was not exposed to any of that, right? I walked through the world imagining myself as just a darker skinned white person, because of my upbringing, that's how my grandfather, my grandparents raised me because they were trying to protect me, right? Because they knew like bad things happened to minorities in this country. And so they tried to shield me as much as they could. But the reality is there's some things that they can't change, right? Like, and so it really gave me the tools, the skills, the knowledge to navigate spaces that most of the time we're not welcome to anyway. I see. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. What a, what a, insightful thing to share i appreciate it uh so broad question uh charles who do you learn from man there there are so many um you know i i know that we you know and, and i think it shifts right as we go through our journey 
Uh, we pick up mentors and then we learn and we grow. We kind of take what we need and then we continue moving on. And then there are those mentors, I think, that stick with us, you know, for most, if not all of our journey. Uh, so one of the biggest, and I know we already mentioned him here, is, uh, you know, Mr. Anderson, my current principal. Charles when I, Anderson. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I first came to Austin uh, as a principal at Plato, he was one of the very first principals that I met. And he was like, come on, let me show you. Let me introduce you to people. Let me show you the network. Like, and I said, but I, I'm a charter school. And? Right? He didn't care. And so it really was wonderful watching him operate and learning those. Like, I'm still impressed. Right? And even now working alongside him, there are days I look at him and like, that's what's up. Like, you know, you're, you continue to inspire me. Uh, so he's definitely one. Um, there's Principal Kafele. Uh, you know, he is a huge inspiration, uh, just the work. And, and again, I think that was part of that idea of like, I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm going to speak truths and it, it, it might hurt. It might get uncomfortable. It might push back and challenge, but that is why I'm here. And I love the boldness to be able to stand in spaces and to do that. Um, and so sh big shout out to, you know, Principal Kafele. And, you know, I could go down an entire list, right? I mean, we, we do that a lot of times on Twitter, right? We tag all of our friends and you're like, I know I'm missing somebody. I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> but I will say this, and, and, and I, I, I was holding on to it based on our pre-conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the people when I first came to CPS and I saw and I was like, I love this guy's energy. I love his enthusiasm. I want to get to know him. I want to become part of his circle. But I was a little nervous, right? Because I was brand new to the space. And I'll be honest, it was you. Ah, oh, no, maybe. I, I remember, <laughs> and I was like, man, this guy. I remember going to the Mexican Museum of Art, and we walked past your school. And I told my wife, the guy who runs this school, like, I want to be like, I want to figure out what he's doing. I want to tap into his his knowledge, his energy. And so that's a big thank you to you, because, you know, when you told me <laughs> about wanting to come and talk to me, I was like, where we I both was like? nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you know, he's around too many important people. He's going to say, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so a, a shout out and a thank you to you as well. Thank you, Charles. No, uh, um, same admiration here. I, I much appreciate that, man. Uh, let me ask you, who is or who are your biggest influence? So um, I will say the very first people that come to mind, first of all, is my, my grandmother and my grandfather. Uh, they raised me. Uh, you know, my grandfather, I think, instilled in me a work ethic of, you know, even those days where it's bitterly cold and you're tired, you're just, like his belief was you you work. Right. That is what you do. If you have a job, it is your duty to work. Right. And some sure there's some toxic positivity in that. But that was his mindset. Right. My grandfather was born in 28. Right. He was a roofer, a construction worker, like hard manual labor, even after he retired. Like he continued to work like that was his belief. And so there's that that drive that pushes me. So big shout out to him. But then on the other side of that, the educational component goes to my grandmother because my grandmother was born too far early. Uh, she was born in 31 and she was fascinated with the sciences, uh, biology, astronomy. She, she it fascinated her. But during that time frame, right, that was not really acceptable for women to do. So, you know, she ended up being a housewife, but that didn't stop her from having night, right? Our bedtime conversations weren't,
Goldilocks and the Three Bears, or right? It was, let's talk about the diving bell spider, right? Let's talk about Mars. Let's talk about, like, I remember when we were sending the rover to Mars for the first time. Like, we would sit down and we'd read the paper and we'd talk about, like, it was just something that was fascinating to us, right? And so the idea of not pursuing education was not even an option. Like, it was just a given. And my grandmother really pushed that. And so those two things, that work ethic, plus that drive, that passion for knowledge and understanding and education really pushed me to where I am today. And then I would have to give, you know, shout outs to my my, my own children. Um, you know, my wife and I, we have five girls between the two of us. And now we have a grandson. Um, and it's really saying, how do I make sure that these educational spaces, right, are designed for for all of us, right? As females, right? As as a Latina and Afro Afro Latina uh, females, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the educational spheres that you're operating in are are accepting of who you are. And now with my grandson coming through, right? It, it's pushed me into a whole another area of diverse learners because I'm starting to see, you know, some of the practices that are not always what's best for our kids. And so I said, well. That's another mantle I'm taking on because you're not going to mistreat people. But unfortunately, some of the times you have to have that personal experience, right, in order to get you there, unfortunately. Um, and last but not least, a big shout out to, to my wife, who is also an educator. Uh, so it's, I mean, we're able to kind of go on this journey together. Um, you know, and she she asked me the other day, do I make you better? And I was like, yeah, you, you really do because she's one of those gems that I would love to have in my school that just kind of flies below the radar. I don't do big conferences. I don't do, you know, workshops. I don't, I'm just going to stay in my classroom and I'm going to rock it out for my students each and every single day. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of times we've created these spaces where you get a rock star teacher, right? And we want to pull them out. We want to throw them in administration. We want them to do all the things but what if that impacts the work that they're doing in the classroom? Yes. So if that's where they want to be, let them be in that space and let them rock it out because those kids are going to benefit from it. So big shout out to her as well. Hey Amen. A good teacher is like a good surgeon. You need them in the surgery room. You don't need them as a secretary officer. Absolutely. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Uh, it's so important when you have a, a partner that shares uh the importance of the value of education. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. You know, I I like to talk about, you know, that we were co-teachers at one point, but that's a whole nother story. That's how we met. Wow. (laughs) That that must have been a challenge, right? Because then the roles are not the same that you play at home, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why now I tell like, we can never work together. It would be be way too awkward. And now our students, the students that we had, they'll see us and they're like, I knew it. <laughs> you know, my, my wife is a teacher too, and our teacher. Uh, and uh, one time we taught a summer class, it was like an enrichment class together. And uh, our son was also in the class. Uh, so, what you learn is like, hey, friend, you're a terrible teacher, so get out of the way. <laughs> so, it was not a successful uh, partnership, uh, but uh, a lot of lessons learned there. Okay, so uh, Charles, let's talk about the productivity side of things. As you know, this is so important, but it means so many things 
to many different people. So tell us about your habits of success. So I think one is, again, I know I keep coming back to this idea of knowing who you are and how you operate. Like I'm an early bird, you know, waking up five, six o'clock, that's nothing. And so how do you maximize the time that you have, right? And so I would much rather wake up early, right? I'm starting to work six, seven in the morning. I can be productive. Whereas some people work much later at night. At eight o'clock, I'm done. So if I try to stay up and continue to be effective, I know I'm not. So know who you are, right? But I think the other part of that is being intentional about carving out time. And it needs to be a balance. So, you know, a lot of times I'll set a timer for myself when I'm working on something. I'm giving you 90 minutes to work on this, right? I might be pushing out proposals for conferences. Charles, you got 90 minutes, right? Because you also have other things that you need to do. And so I, I put it on my Google calendar. I'll set a timer for myself. And when that time is up, I walk away. But I think it's also important that as you're carving out that time, that you are finding balance between life and work, right? So I know not many people know this, but I, I like to play video games. And so I make a time. It's almost like a reward for myself. All right, you've earned, you know, a half an hour, right? So I'll go downstairs, I'll fire up the Xbox, right? And, and I'll get lost for a half an hour, right? But again, I got to set that timer because otherwise I'll look up, it's three hours later. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then I go back to working on other things like, all right, now. Right? And so I think it just you have to be intentional about it. Um, that's how you're productive. But I think otherwise, you know, we we kind of just start working on things and then you're like, oh, but I got that and I've got this and I've got that. And so you're either chipping away at things with no uh, directive or you get so caught up in something, you're letting everything else build up and then you're just overwhelmed. And so for me, it's being very intentional about time. And if you're intentional about that time, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get to where you need to be. But I think you, it's, it's a combination, right? Setting yeah. aside time and prioritizing. Because a lot of times people prioritize things that like, oh, that's due in three months, right? Well, maybe that should be a little bit further down because that thing that's due tomorrow needs to be up there. Like right now I'm working on a workshop uh, next Thursday, I'm presenting for a group up in Ontario, right? Mm. And so, like, that is one of those things that are up there, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I need to make sure that that's ready and, you know, ready to go, as opposed to, I need to schedule some winter break podcast conversations. Well, it's an easy task, but it's also something that's a little further down that I could sprinkle in here and there as I'm going along. Yeah. So it's just really being intentional about how you're moving forward. So <clears throat> taming time is important for your success. And for example, you have project A, let's say this presentation or this project. How do you ensure everything gets done? Do you make a list? Uh, what is that process looks like? Yeah, you know, I, so I think I, I kind of like carve out time, right? Um, with, with goals of where I want to be. And, you know, I don't freak out though, right? Like, so let's say... I need to be at point C and I'm only at B, right? I, I'm not freaking out yet because it's like, you know, there are days and I think that we just have to understand how all of us operate. There's days where you're really productive, right? And then there's days that you're not as productive, yeah. right? And so it, would, it wouldn't be until I get closer, 
And it's like, oh man, I'm not where I'm at. Then, then I need to kind of like, again, but it's reprioritizing. So it, it's, I think for me, right, it's really easy to get lost in a project. And then you look up and the day's gone or you've not done anything else. And you feel really good about that one thing, but you have all this other now that hasn't been touched. And so it's, it's okay. I think it's giving yourself that grace. I, I've known about this for about two weeks, right? So I'm just kind of churning along. And, and, you know, three, four days before, if I'm not where I want to be, right, that's when it's like, okay, let me reprioritize, take some of those other things. And instead of 90 minutes, I might give myself, okay, you got a three-hour window, right? Yes. So you expand it a little bit. But it, again, it's all about prioritizing and being intentional. Beautiful. And like, tell us about your, um, how do you organize yourself to do your podcasting work? Yeah. So I, you know, for me, it's days, right? So podcast recording days, when I record a guest, it's typically on a Thursday, right? Um, it used to be Wednesdays, uh, just because I was really, really big into chats, like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the Twitter chats. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of pick out a day. And, and that's when I'll do my recordings. Um, you know, I during the like during September, uh, end of summer, September, I, I recorded a bunch with the intention of being able to say, hey, as I go into the holiday months, November, December, I'm good. I don't have I can release my episodes and I'm okay. I'm not scrambling to record. Um, so again, it's it's being intentional, right? Not just within a day, but when you look at your week, kind of dedicating days, right? Um, Tuesdays now will be the only day that I participate in a chat, right? And even that I've weaned off a little bit because the truth is I leave my house at about six in the morning, right? And I go to work. I don't get home usually until about six, six thirty. So I'm, I'm, that's a long chunk of the day that I'm gone. Yeah. So when I come home, I can't forget. And, and I'm, I'm trying to do better with this, right? That I have to come home to my family. So while I'm coming home, I know sometimes it's like, oh, I, I got a podcast. I got this. I've got that. But I also have my family. Right. And so I've gotten a lot better when I leave my office. My computer stays at work. Like, no, I will get to you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I used to be the guy who took pride into saying, you could always call me. You could always email me. You could always, always, always. And while that was great for my teachers, my parent it wasn't great for my home it sucked but, for you right it's not good for me so mm -hmm. so i had this i had to separate that and for a while i felt guilty like i wasn't being a, a good administrator anymore but the reality was i need to be an administrator but i also need to be a husband i need to be a dad right i need to be these other things and it's okay like take that step because i'm sure somebody watching this listening to this I mean, you may be struggling with that Try it, right? Try it for a week and see how different you feel. I guarantee you it's going to go by quickly where now the only time I bring my computer home is on a weekend, right? In case something pops up out over the weekend. But other than that, it stays at work, yep. right? And so it's, it's knowing that. And now because we know, like say Thursdays are recording days, my wife says, okay, well, on Thursdays, I'm going to go over right, and spend time with the grandson. Now you're working on this. I'm going to go do that. And we're, we're finding this balance of being able to operate. So she's not just sitting like, well, he's in there recording, right? Like it, it's, it's finding that balance, which is a lot easier said than done. But the truth is, if you just sit around 
creating schedules and stuff like that, you're never going to try it. Try it. Try something and then start like tweaking it and implementing it. And, and, and I'm sure you're going to find your own balance. Beautiful. Thank you. That's a, a great advice. Uh, and in terms of organizing yourself, uh, what were the lessons learned in, in writing a, a book or co-authoring a book? For those yeah, who so, are in those in that stage of saying, oh, I want to write a book. Uh, how the heck do I organize myself to do such a thing? I think it's, you know, again, I think it's that same thing, right? Just being intentional and carving out time. There, I'll be honest, there are times that I said, okay, we're going to sit down the right. And I might sit there and just like, I have nothing, right? I have nothing to give right now. And there was a time when I would just force myself to write something. Um, but what I would almost do is I would look at my schedule and say, okay, I'm going to do this in, instead right now because I feel those creative juices flowing or I feel more focused on that. And I'm going to come back to this. But it was never, I'll just do it later, right? It's easy to say, I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. And then you look up and it's never done. So it's carving and, and it's okay, right? To move those pieces around, maybe like whatever it was, you know, I'm more focused on, like right now I'm trying to re-coordinate my office and it's been so tempting to just keep working on it. And I'm like, no, you could come back to it. But maybe, right, as I'm working on this presentation, if ideas aren't really flowing, I could take a break, right? work on the office for a little bit that was originally scheduled for later and now come back you'd be you'd be surprised right I, and i don't know about you but i how you always have great ideas in the shower right <laughs> you write and, it down <laughs> and there, there's a science behind it apparently that when you're engaged in kind of mindless tasks things that aren't cognitively challenging your brain's able to process a lot of that that's why when you're in the shower washing your hair you're like oh <gasps> like And so it's okay. Like I kind of do that intentionally now. All right, let me work on something else. You know, let me go wash the dishes or let me go move the thing. And, and I just kind of leave myself open to that because I might've been reading a lot and maybe my body's just digesting it. It wasn't ready yet, but in the middle of, you know, vacuuming the floor or something, right. It's like, there it is. Right. And I can pause that capture that moment. Right. And then, So it's just really being intentional about who you are and being flexible. But I think the biggest thing is giving yourself grace. I think sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. That's a great advice. You know, working is not only on the chair writing. It's also reflecting what we do all our activities. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And in terms of uh, any exercise, any uh, mindful activities that, that you do that you would like to share Because you never know, there might be people who are like running a million miles per hour. And by the way, the physician does not work when they're not on call. So I agree with you that <laughs> people people can wait uh, for a few hours for an email. Um, so tell me, uh, any mindful activities or exercise you would like to share? Yeah, so th there, there's two. Um, when the weather's nice, I don't like anything really below like, you know, 70 degrees. I'm just... I live in the wrong city, but um, when, it's, when it's nice, uh, my wife and I, we have a trail you know, that's by us. It's about a three-mile trail. Um, and so just w taking that walk uh, and, you know, either whether it's by myself or if it's I hop on my bike, but a lot of times we like to do it together. Um, 
you know, and we just, we, we process everything, uh, process the day, process our, ourselves, process our relationship, whatever it may be. But taking that walk, I think was great. And we used to do it during the pandemic, right? I, I wasn't leaving the school at six and I mean, leaving work at six in the morning. So every morning before school started, I was able to take that walk with her and it was powerful. Um, and so I, if, if I could change my schedule, I would definitely change it back to doing that. Um, one, but my day, other one day we're going to change the schedule of schools to start later. And we'll be yeah, yeah, because, to... I mean, I don't know about right now. Like with it, We start our, our first period is at 7.45 in the morning. I'll still... Like, yeah. you know, I don't know if our teachers are even awake at that point, but yeah. that's, that's a whole other. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I enjoy doing that it's kind of my zen is cooking. I love to cook. So I'll go into the kitchen, right? Uh, you know, I'll turn on the music. I'll pour myself a glass of wine. And then I just go. And it, that's my area. Like, I'm just jamming out. You should have saw me on Thanksgiving. Just dancing <laughs> around in the kitchen, right? Like, it, it, but that's for me. So, like, and then what's great about it is afterwards I can sit down and then enjoy a meal, right? And so I was productive, but it, but it doesn't feel like work you know and it, it's great my, my youngest daughter right now she's in new york at culinary school and so like now we're starting to have conversations about food and she's quickly surpassing me she's like i made some boulanger that's good that's <laughs> like, a good you thing what? <laughs> <laughs> so what is what is what is your main dish like if 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 you have to go to a show and bring your best plate mm. what would that be so my daughters will tell you my ribs they 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 love my ribs my ribs and sweet potatoes that i make that's, okay. that's one of the things that they love um my wife will probably tell you um you know one of the chicken dishes even though i make a main uh, a mean frijoles charro mm. where she was like how good are you learning no good to know <laughs> i'm sure you score a lot of points with her family <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's awesome. I, I think uh, uh, usually um, people think about mindful activities as just like meditation mm -hmm. um, uh, or boring stuff. There's so many more stuff. I appreciate uh, you sharing those. Uh, any other interest that that we don't know about Charles Williams that you do with your time that you would like to share? You know, but there, there isn't a lot of time in between, but I will say in this is just, uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do. So, you know, I love being able to go to these conferences and I utilize the conferences, even though my wife disagrees, I utilize them as vacations. So she normally comes with me. So I try to get in a day or two early. I try to stay a day or two later and we explore and we are, we are nerds. And so we will find the most fascinating, interesting things. Like, you know, we'll find, uh, we went up to Salem Uh, for her birthday a few years ago. And we also found a Salem, New Hampshire, because apparently in Salem, New Hampshire, we have our own Stonehenge. Mm. I didn't know that, but we but we love that kind of stuff. So we went and we hiked through the woods and we found it and we were exploring it. Um, you know, we, we love historical things. And so, you know, we embed ourselves. And of course, like we... We bring our own perspectives. You know, when I was down in Austin for the TASA conference back in February, uh, 
you know, afterwards we popped over to San Antonio and we had, of course, if you're in San Antonio, we had to visit, you know, the Alamo, yeah, Alamo, yeah. you know? And so it was interesting because we come into it and like, all right, let's see what story is going to be told. Right. And so, you know, we learned about Santa Ana and how, you know, a big part of that fight was over slavery, right? How Santa Ana was like, no, we're not doing slavery. But the Americans who were trying to take over Texas were like, but we need them. How else are we going to get work done? Right. And so that was a point of contention. Right. I didn't know that the Alamo was a site where they actually sold slaves. That was a slip. Like, and so we learn these things. Right. We, we, we've, we go, we're, we're big into food. So we will find the best restaurants. Yes. But we're also like finding the best museums and tours. And so that's how we spend our time. And, so yeah, so if, if anybody's watching and you, you have something awesome in your city, like that little gem or hidden historical, please let me know because I would love to come and visit, not just to connect with you, but to check out that uh, that hidden history. Absolutely. Let me ask you well, then follow-up question. What is the best restaurant in the city? Mm, in Chicago. Ah, man. Perhaps not the best, but the first one that comes to mind that you will bring your loved ones. So, you know, it, it's funny when you say, when you said it, one of the very first ones that popped into my mind was 90 Miles. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, we love Cuban food. Um, you know, uh, we, we spent a lot of time in Pilsen for, uh, you know, for all the Mexican dishes. My yes. daughter just moved into Humboldt Park, one of our daughters. So now we got, you know, we got like a nenas with a Puerto Rican uh, you know, uh, but I mean, we, we are just foodies, right? And so we will travel. I don't know if you've been to Alambre, uh, no. you get a show and, and some great food, but I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, if you find great restaurants, which is funny because I, I have a weekly meeting with one of my staff members mm -hmm. and every week here's, here's a new restaurant, right? Because as we know, at least in Chicago, there are hundreds of restaurants that you can never really try all of them so wow. you know we're always trying new places well i would love to to do like a like i have a show where um we i meet the person i'm interviewing in different restaurants and we get to try the the food in the restaurant as we talk right like that could be a great show you i <laughs> you know how angry i get watching netflix and the right? It's like my job is I travel around the world and I yeah. visit fascinating places and eat great food. I was like, I can do that. Netflix, if you're watching, I can do that. Right, right. Hey, <laughs> it's a call. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. Charles, uh, any last thoughts or lessons learned that you would like to share with the viewers and listeners of this fifth edition of Wisdom and Productivity? You know, uh, I, I just, the, the, the biggest thing, I know I said it earlier is figure out your purpose, your why, and ground yourself in that. Because if, if you have that strong foundation, when things get challenging, when when, when push and, and pushback comes, right, that, that those waves of negativity, when they buffet you, you're going to be able to stand strong. And when it's all over, people know who you are, what you represent, and that nothing means more than that. But if you're wishy-washy, if you're jumping around, if you're you're not going to be valuable to anybody nor to yourself. 
right? So figure out who you are, figure out your purpose, and stand firm in that position. Boom. Amen. Nothing else <laughs> to say. Charles, I am so thankful you took the time to be in the show. Thank you. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to connect with you. And I'm glad now that we know we don't have to be nervous now when we're in the same space. We'll, we'll sit Absolutely. down and we'll, we'll go out for uh, we'll go out for some uh, cuisine. Maybe we'll so start the show together. Absolutely. Right. We should do it. Like, <laughs> the world is full of possibilities. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Uh, happy Saturday, man. Same. Enjoy your day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Epaim Martinez. Chulo. And the other production. Chulo out.